Welcome. Join us for this episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Today's podcast has the med experts breaking down the traditional MedTech model and the future of sales, as reviewed in the McKinsey article, The Future of MedTech Sales is Hybrid. The team will be examining the article, reviewing what they feel McKinsey got right, as well as what they're seeing in the environment today. Good day to all of our MBA podcast listeners. Welcome to another edition of the MBA podcast presented by the MedTech experts. Uh, my name is Skender Derty. I'm joined today by my esteemed colleagues, Barbara Strain and Mike Spurduti. Uh, We've been, uh, as good stewards of healthcare, uh, all three of us and all the med tech experts, obviously we talk about it as an MBA, there has to be some academic aspect behind it. And and I'm proud to say that each one of us prides ourselves in investing a lot of our personal time uh, into just learning more and getting more exposure to um, various aspects of what's happening across the industry. And part of that is constantly keeping our finger on the pulse of the news and various articles that are coming out. And one such article caught our attention and we were having this as a sidebar conversation and realized, hey, we, we really need to showcase this for the entire audience. And it was an article, and I encourage all of our listeners to read it. Uh, It's an article that was put out there, a research article put out there by the esteemed um, management consulting organization, McKinsey & Company. And it's from September 30 to 2020. And the name of the article is The Future of MedTech Sales is Hybrid. Um, And I'll let everybody else read it. There's some amazing information in there, some amazing details. We'll uncover some of that. We'll we'll put it into layman's terms and help you understand it a little bit further. Some incredible infographics. But essentially, the crux of the model is under the basis that if you look at the traditional medtech sales model, and we're going to talk about mathematics. Believe me, this isn't quantum math. Okay, we're not going to do quantum mathematics. So everybody just keep up with me for a second here. Okay. It's basically, if you look at the traditional medtech model and we look at the sales organization and we consider that sales organization just down to its lowest common denominator, and that is one, one whole sales rep, okay? This article is essentially advocating that in order to be dynamic enough to keep up with the future demand that the providers are going to request, and that is going to be demanded upon each of the medtech organizations, you have to essentially take that whole one and divide it up into fractional parts. And essentially the fractions evolve depending on where you are in a sales cycle. And so what that means is you're gonna have roughly a part that is top of the funnel and lead generation. You're gonna have a part that is kind of middle, that is the relationship building and really turning that that prospective client into a client. And then you're gonna have the backend part that basically is making sure that that client and that experience is cemented throughout the long term, okay? Now, in some of the parts of the sales cycle, you're gonna have more of the front end lead generation. In other parts, it's gonna be less and it'll be more of that relationship slash relationship cementer, however you wanna refer to it. But either which way, the subject of the discussion is more about the evolution migrating away from one to having one that is made up of multiple parts. And it just so happens, and we were talking about this, that Mike has actually been talking about this topic since way before, which Mike, I don't know, you might want to check your royalties. 
<laughs> yeah, um, and see what you're doing on this. But Mike's been talking about this for years and advocating it for years, and he has it in even more simplified terms. So, Mike, I, I share that with the audience. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that everybody's catching up because uh, for me it was pretty obvious, uh, and the reason why it was obvious was because really if you break down the set of the sales function, uh, what needs to be done, and when we had one person doing it, was that person had to be great at prospecting, great at closing the business, and and you know winning it over, and presenting, and doing all those good things, and then great at servicing, right? Great at make, make keeping that relationship. And I don't know about you guys, but I never found anybody that was great at all three. Like typically, if you're a great hunter, which that's what I am, I love to hunt. So I go out there and I want to take the nose and I want to bring in the business and I want to do what it takes to bring people into my organization. But once I'm done with that, I want to go off to my next one, right? So I'm a great hunter. So for me, those two and three parts, I was I was good at them, but I wasn't great. And typically what you find with any sales rep is they're either strong prospectors, they're strong at closing the business or presenting, or they're strong at customer service. And so therefore, there was always a weakness in their game. And so what my thought was, well, play into people's strengths. Let's divide that sales process into three parts and let's organizationalize that. So every company that I have and every company that I consult, we put in a structure that the first part of that structure is called, we get a bunch of creators, right? So these creators, all they do day in and day out, one function, they go out and they create new relationships. They're the ones that are doing the cold calling. They're the ones that are doing the social media. They're the ones that are doing the LinkedIn connections. They're the ones that are doing the email marketing, right? Because you need somebody to do the hardest part, which is grabbing the attention and getting somebody to say, yes, I'm interested in a meaningful conversation, potentially on You Can Help Me. So imagine having a team of people just doing that day in, day out, week in, week out. Then we have a team of what I call authorities. And these authorities are people that are subject matter experts. They know more about the customer's business than the customer does. And so when they speak to that customer, it's not a sales call. They're actually coming in as an advisor who can help them with their biggest unmet needs or their challenges or their wants. And so then that person does what they do all day, which is the best thing in the world, which is they help provide solutions. And so imagine a team of those people and how great they can be. And then lastly, would be your team of lovers, right? I wanna love my customer, right? And we call them customer service, but truly I want that my customer to be loved, that they know when they call, all their needs are taken care of, all their questions are answered, they need something, it's done. And so if you break the sales process into those three components, you not only get better results because you're, you're quantifying each position, you have KPIs behind them and uh, op, uh, metric standards, performance standards, but you're also letting people do what they do best that they're made in love to do. And Mike, can you just repeat those three parts again? Sure. So you get your team of creators, creators. who are the ones that bring in the business in terms of getting people to find people that have an interest and a need in the budget for what you're trying to sell. You have a team of authorities 
who are subject matter experts that can provide those solutions better than anybody else to those customers. And then we have a team of lovers who, again, will serve those customers like no one else to make sure when they come into the house, we never lose them. Love it. I love it. And being so close to Valentine's Day, I just got to tell you, the lover philosophy is, <laughs> is perfectly timed. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if we could just start, because, you know, one of the things that uh, you know, the article is trying to address is, you know, what are best practices right now in sales and marketing? And the biggest issue that probably everybody on the podcast is facing is the first issue is the toughest. It's how to get the attention and the time of these buyers, because obviously there are clinical labor shortages, they, they, there's, they have no time to talk to salespeople. So the things that are working, like inside sales, like social media, like email marketing, everybody's doing them, so your message has to be stronger. And I think this is where you guys come in. So Barbara, let me ask you this question. You know, Obviously your forte is providing value analysis and helping companies position themselves uniquely in the marketplace. What are you seeing that's working today and what are you doing differently to position companies so they can rise above and people see, hear, and feel that your clients are different? Thanks, Mike. Um, when I first started out, it was 2019. So a totally different approach. It was mainly you're going in and here's how you need to present things. Here's how you need, you know, marketing to really look at how am I messaging and what are you putting in the content of message and things. Some of those things haven't changed, but then 2020 happened and rapidly everything really changed to a lot of those different modalities once we realized that providers were actually embracing technology like they never did before before no no you need to come see me versus that you know uh technology so it has progressed to today where there's still a, a deck sort of involvement because you have to present something but presenting it and learning the skills to do it virtually um is an art because there's a lot of people that don't do it very well. So it's putting together a very short, succinct uh, story, if you will. And people think short means, here's my product, you want to buy it, it's like theirs, but it's cheaper is not the story. So I help to really cultivate that, but in a real succinct way, so we place data appropriately in things, What's now going on is because of live face-to-face -face meetings, what kind of collateral do you have and what do you do at meetings to get those value messages across? So, you know, the one-page two-sider with a QR code, anything technical that can be on there to help, because you only get maybe 30 seconds or go, I, I call it sort of the uh, carnival barkers, because you're trying to get somebody even to stop at your booth. But then when they get there, they really wanted to go to this other booth or they wanted to go someplace else. So how do you keep them there? And that's what I do when I go face to face is I kind of say, how are they really kind of drawing me in? 
and what what's really working and what isn't working and that sort of thing. So there's lots of things that you can do differently. It's now perfecting the art of the old art of the elevator speech, mm. but it's different because it's either that phone trying to get that creator to say the right thing. It's also then uh, somewhat of the uh, authority because now it's not a license and I'm going to spend two hours with you to tell you all this. The provider uh, contacts are all different now and they've all changed, you know, like musical chairs they've they're sitting in different seats they might be combined in different departments how do you really reach them and when you do and what the article this great article i loved it and i highlighted two words value proposition was in there <laughs> as basically whatever you do you've got to have the right value proposition. And I don't mean by, oh, all your data has to all be there. It's the right type for that right situation when that window or door, you can see a little light in it. And then you have the right thing to say. But knowing who that, who that creator got for you how are you really knowing who you're talking to? Because that message needs to be tailored just right. That is, and Skander, and I'm going to throw it to you now. My question for you, in addition to what you were going to say, is because you're so big and your organization is so big in voice of the customer, right? So you have the liberty of literally listening from the mouths of the folks that we're trying to message to. What, because we have to be brief and brilliant now, we have to capture them in a subject heading in an email, or when I pick up the phone, I have to dazzle them in the first sentence or I'm done. What are those words that you're hearing or those issues that they're facing that, you know, just generally from the voice of the customer? I mean, frankly, it's just differentiation, right? And that's what I think our, our industry does poorly, is I think if you listen, you know, there's the old adage in healthcare that if you've seen one hospital, if you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital, right? However, I'll tell you this. If you've heard one med tech pitch, you've heard all the med tech pitches. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Think about that dynamic for a second. The differentiation in how med tech tries to present its value proposition is almost so cookie cuttered. Okay. It's so templated that what we hear from our cohort when we're doing voice to customer and we're talking to them, it's like, I'm not seeing anything exciting. I'm not seeing anything new. And there are some times where we're involved in a technology. We're like, wait, what do you mean? You didn't, you didn't get caught up in the excitement of that. And it wasn't necessarily, they didn't get the value proposition wasn't presented in a differentiated format. Yeah. Okay. So all they heard was the prototypical Charlie Brown's teacher <laughs> and all the white noise that is there. Right. <laughs> And despite how exciting the technology is, it sounded just like every other technology that was there. Yeah. So that's what we're hearing from all the surgeons and the doctors and the nurses that people want to get to is tell me why. Don't just tell me why it's different. Show me why it's different. Make me feel it. Give me something visceral that gets me going. Right. And when all your pitches are exactly alike, hmm. that's a challenge. And one thing before Mike 
get some other pearl of wisdom out is a well-placed short video in any of that goes a long way. Completely. And, and so I guess what I'm, what I'm, what I'd like to share with folks, if we can, are are there certain words, right, that people perk up when they hear in that email or they hear in that message? So Barbara, any words that you feel really start perking people up? When they, when they did enough research to talk about them. They turn the conversation to the person or entity they're talking to. You know, you're you're big in this region and you really specialize in cardiovascular procedures. And I know that you're really getting up there as a leader, if not the leader. This will now be the standard that you're going to set because we're gonna set that standard together using this. Mm. When you turn it around to, I'm hearing you provider, and this is where we wanna help to take you. Yeah, that makes sense. And Skender, when, you, when you're listening to these voice of customers, just generally, because I know we have different markets that we serve, whether you're in the surgery suite or a lab manager or whoever your market is, words like, patient outcomes, reducing clinical labor. What are those types of like buzzwords that are resonating right now in the space? It's hard to say, you know, I mean, I guess here's the thing, and I'll build off of what Barbara just said in answer to your question. You know, one of the most, anybody that's ever gone through any sort of sales training at some point has heard the, the phrase with them, right? What's in it for me? Yep. And so whatever buzzword you're trying to key upon, right? Length of stay, um, bed turnover, whatever it may be, okay, whatever dynamic you're you're talking to, if you don't know what the buzzword is that is going to entice your specific audience, yeah. right? I think too many people on the street look at WIFM and they look at it as, oh, doctor. But they forget that Dr. Michael Smith, despite being a, an orthopedic surgeon at XYZ Hospital, is completely different than Dr. Alan Smith, unrelated, okay, who is also an orthopedic surgeon at XYZ Hospital, but he has different things that drive him and motivate him. And yeah. that's what Barbara is getting at. So I don't think, you know, coming back to your question, Mike, we're not hearing any sort of magical beanstalk answer, <laughs> right, that just gets people going. There isn't. You have to do some baseline fundamental research and understanding. You know, the differentiation that is required today is so important. And it seems like it's like it's a grind to do so. But let's be honest here. We're also grinding to get any sort of lead opportunity. So put in a few extra minutes in there to make sure that every discussion you have is worthy. And, and, and I want to back this up with, with data because we've been talking about this. And so one of the key infographics from the study that I kind of want to highlight for a second is the expectations have totally changed. Now, you know, McKinsey, for the support of this article, has basically did a survey of eight, roughly 800 physicians, okay? And they kind of timed the data at metric points with each physician at pre-COVID, November of 2020, right? Right when we were in roughly the thick of things, uh, and then basically August 2021, 
Okay. So three phases over three years, essentially. Okay. For in-person study, the expectation for in-person connectivity with sales reps, the expectation was pre-COVID 76% of my interactions, I would prefer to be in-person. Mm. Okay. Now let's forget November, 2020, because we all, we all know, and it was more than half of the decline. But now we get into a kind of normalized period, August 21, to where we are today. And according to their data, it says 58%. That is a wow. nearly 20% drop-off, right? 20% drop-off. 20-point drop-off is what I should showcase. So the physicians are saying, yeah, I used to like it this way, and I still overwhelmingly prefer that, but it depends on the context of where we are. So that's why in, in bringing, in, in my mind, bringing everything back to full circle here about the magic beanstalk, there is no answer because if you're not reaching the, your audience, not only with the right method and right medium at the right time and the right value proposition for them specifically, you're going to miss the mark. They're telling us they're adapting. Are you? Totally. And I, and I think also even pre-COVID, I mean, let's face it, the marketplace, you have younger and younger people now that are making decisions that were brought up with technology. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have a client right now. They're one of the leading ophthalmologists. I can't say the word ophthalmologist, whatever. They do glasses stuff. Right. <laughs> and so they, they're a leader in the world. They have a great footprint. They're in 50% of all these uh, offices across the United States. And they find their most successful way to communicate right now is through email and through text. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're if so now we're helping them perfect that as opposed to fight a trend. Right. You could say, oh, no, I want to sell over the phone or I want to do this or this. We have to embrace that these folks don't want to communicate, even even with the, the Zoom technology. This is what they, on a whole, prefer. To your point, Skender, um, you know you have to figure out how do they want to communicate because not everybody is the same. So there are still people that want to be seen face to face. There are still people that want Zoom. But you need to your point before, and Barbara, you said this. We're marketing now to a customer of one. Mm-hmm. How does yes. that per- what does that person need to see here and feel in order for me to provide value to them? What type of communication method is their preferred method? What is their learning style? These are all things that we need to be honed in on that quite frankly before we didn't have to. Right. And and I want to back up some of your things again with more data, right? Let's let's go back to this. As um pre-COVID, 47% of physicians said they would have liked email correspondence, okay? Post-COVID, 64%, Yeah. right? It's a 20-point increase. We saw a 20-point decrease in the number of in-person requests. Now we're seeing a 20-point increase in email. Now you reference Zoom, okay? The Zoom or any sort of virtual video platform was 4% pre-COVID, four. Wow. Okay, 4%. According to this, the study findings here, it is 22% now, right? Yeah. That's a big jump percentage wise. That is a five fold increase. That's skyrocketing. More. It's just, you know, it's almost a six fold increase, right? That's impressive. When you go to the phone, 18% pre COVID, 38% post COVID. 
Yeah. And then the thing that I think a lot of people even forget about, and the final medium they looked at, is text messaging. It was 9% pre-COVID and 16% post-COVID. Yeah. Yeah, when I was still practicing, you know, value management at an academic medical center uh, pre-2019, I got texts and emails from chairs of department, surgeons, uh, different leaders and things, because that's when they had the time to do something. And if somebody did said something to me at 9.30 p.m. at night, I just quickly texted them. Boy, it alleviated this back and forth and stuff. Because when you start doing things you know, the old fashioned way and face to face, that's so time involved. And then they'll say, I'm on service, so I'm going to need to leave. Or sometimes they may not be able to even show up, but they can pull a phone out of their pocket and do a little text. Says, yes, I'd like to see that. Send me a clip of that or something. Right. That's it. So you have to get with the times. I want to go back to words a little bit because it's not sometimes words that excite them is that too many people, either written or verbally, say what I call empty words. Hmm. Our product is the, has the best quality and outcomes and uh, is a leading practice, blah, blah. And I go, I know nothing about your product. It's well, so but good. it does all those things. No, doesn't do those things. You know, it's like a blind date. You know, you've got to <laughs> Or all these platforms now, you know, I know a few people that are now on a bunch of platforms and stuff, not me, 51 years, been married, but anyway, and it's hilarious, but it's similar, you know, so you got to kind of get with it. And the, the folks that are really doing well are the ones that have captured this fractionalization really well. Because you still might have those physicians, surgeons, uh, administrators, whatever. Yeah, come see me. I'll meet you for coffee now that you can do some face-to-face. And they like that. But you got to know them and understand that. And then have the right message for the what you're going to be doing. Ask it's a millennial. Good. Ask a millennial how many voicemails they get. Right. Oh, yeah. They yeah. won't even set up the they will not even set up the voice mailbox. No, they, they no voicemail is like, ah, I hated it even yeah. when I was there, you know, but um I don't yeah. want to do that. But anyway, yeah, our producer's well, chiming in. She's a uh she's a millennial. She's saying she gets them. She doesn't hear them. Yeah, yeah. millennials are like really, they're, they're rude. Well, yeah. it's it really eats up a chunk of your day. Just text me. I yeah. mean, my son and my husband and I, the th- between the three of us, we must exchange, I don't know how many texts all throughout the day, the evening, whatever it is, but we know what's going on. You know, it's. Yep. Mm, Barbara, it's so funny that you were saying about the you know, what you say matters, you know, back yeah. to words. And, you know, like things like we have great customer service. <laughs> we treat our Patients like family. It's like, I know people that don't like their family. Quite right. so, yeah. I, you know, what are you like? What are you inferring? And what are you saying? Like, what is what? And so to that end, and I'm sure you do this to your clients, because I'll always be like, guys, specifically, what do you mean by customer yes. service? Yeah, we have fast delivery. 
specifically how fast you mean because fast, fast right. to you might be next day. Fast to me might be two hours. So we, you know, we need to a lot of times when people talk, communication they think exists that they're understanding and they're not. I, for instance, mm-hmm. I have to lose a lot of weight. Now I might think five pounds, like Mike, you got to lose 20. Right. So <laughs> it's all different. So to that point, I think yes. you know the magic, and this is where laziness, the old days you could be a little lazy. Now everything that you do matters. Every word matters, the content, the context, you got to be on your game. There's just not much time. There is just not much time. There is still between 30 and 100 back orders, discontinuations in one organization each and every day. They're bogged down and they go, one more new thing I have to worry about slotting in and figuring out when is that going to go on back order or whatever. People are really tired of just getting tossed around and their whole days interrupted. Like, not, what's wrong with what I'm currently doing? You got to show me something that is going to save time or, you know, take the place of four things or whatever. It's that distinguishing thing that you were talking about, differentiator. I I agree. And what I tell everybody is you need to be brief, be brilliant, and be done on the phone with your email, on your correspondence. And that's why for those folks, if if you're frustrated because you feel like you have a great technology and it's not moving as quickly and you're not getting the audience, I highly recommend that you reach out to Barbara and Skender. And that's what their organizations do. They will help you frame these so important value propositions and statements and voice of customer wording that no matter if you're a guy like me, I need that help because I need to put my message on steroids and rocket fuel right now, because let's face it, competition, it's harder than ever to get their attention. And so when they answer the phone or they look at that subject title or, you know, they, they take you because you're a referral, you got to knock their socks off. Yeah, well, I like the creator, authority, and lover because there's different messaging at each of those levels. And people often forget about the lover part is because if you made that sale, you finished that, you know, contract, you've got onboarded, and then you leave them, that's the kiss, you know, that's just not going to work out well as a lover, so... You know, you know, it's killing me right now, Barbara. And I don't even know if this is the right discussion to have it on, but I've I've heard a bunch of companies that have, have gotten fat because they've had opportunities where their competitors and just going building off what you just referenced. Their competitors on back order. They're now sitting there as the bell of the ball because they have some inventory of said product. Okay. It lined up against it, and they're taking in new business. And the things that I've been telling them is. Let me ask you, are you just filling orders? Yeah. Some of them are. And I'm like, so when your competitor comes off a back order, what are you doing? Where is that lover? Right, Mike? Where is that lover? If you're just filling in orders and you're sitting there getting fat because momentarily you have inventory at some point, you didn't build for all this inventory. You didn't plan for all this inventory. So cyclically, you're probably going to go on back order too, right? It's almost an inevitability. And then what are you going to do? Are you just going to get caught in this cycle of having a spike in revenue and then going into a dearth? 
right? And that's what so many companies I feel like right now are doing is they get into these fat modes and they're like, oh, this is amazing. It's never going to end. It's never going to end. And then they realize, oh, we didn't plan for all this product. We don't have any more product. And then their competitor comes off a back order and all that business is gone. And they've done nothing to mature or nurture that relationship. Because how do you keep that market share? Are you a local company and, and, or a, a diverse company and people have to have, you know, certain quotas and percentages of how all that happens. Do your homework there folks. And you can get your foot again in a door as maybe a very good secondary or tertiary that you didn't have any footprint in. So yeah, you got to be smart all along the way, no matter what uh, stage you're in as far as the primary or you never had business there before and put something in writing, get it in a contract, you know, do a variety of things, but there's methodologies for all of that. And you may not be somebody that could uh, be part of a GPO for a lot of different reasons, but you could be a local contracted type vendor for a variety of reasons. Well, and going back to the power of the lover and how important that lover is. I mean, you take that relationship. How many customers are out there in 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 the world that they have no relationship with the with the company that's out there, mm-hmm. right? So it's transactional. And when you have a transactional relationship, you're one penny away from losing. <laughs> Meaning, yeah. that competitor drops one penny, you lost it. Whereas mm-hmm. if you really or have a bunch of lovers and you build that love for your customer, it is a huge competitive advantage. It's a moat that you can create around your business and you get more margin. And you don't have to, you don't have to play that price sensitivity game. Obviously you need to be competitive, but you can be on the higher end of competitive, which is a nice thing for your shareholders too. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we're, uh, I think we're nearing the, uh, the, 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 time where we should probably be close to wrapping up. Um, I, I feel like it's been a great discussion. Why don't we just uh, close with some closing thoughts? Cause I, I think we've left them with a lot of great parcels. Um, Barbara, you want to go first? Yeah. I mean, we keep referring to the article, you know, we don't get paid for, you know, uh, sort of doing McKinsey's sort of work here, but. Although if McKinsey just, does want to throw some money our way, we'll, uh, we'll take, yeah, we'll take swag. We'll take anything. Please, <laughs> Mr. McKinsey. No, no, no. Uh, but even if you're just a visual person, those visuals are so important because they really go through sort of a step-by-step will even help you to develop what that should look like at every step of they they have five steps where uh, Mike has three, but you know it doesn't matter how many there are. You have to do something in a different way at each of those steps. And if you haven't been looking inwardly, why you think you've leveled out? If you've got a lot of new products, a new direction to go, think about how what's working and not what's not working. Great. Mike? So one of my favorite plays of all time is Death of a Salesman. And for those of you who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And for those of you who haven't, it basically is about a man, Willie Loman, who became older and he just, his contacts he lost and he didn't stay on top of his game. And he was just relying on the past 
And that was his downfall. And he was actually worth more dead than he was alive in his own mind. And so there's a lot of Willie Lomans out there right now that are a lot younger, by the way. You, you could be 25 and be a Willie Loman. <laughs> if you are not changing what you're doing right now, if you are not becoming a master at inside sales, about voice of the customer, about value proposition, about social media, about Zoom meetings, you are Willie Loman. Don't be one of those people. And there's a lot of managers, VP of sales and VP of marketing, that for whatever reason, they're old school. And because they don't know it, they're resistant to it. If you're a CEO or a board member or an owner, get rid of those people. You need people who are going to adapt to change. And, you know, the smartest people are the oldest ones with the most experience that also have adapted technology. So this isn't an age thing. It's just a competency issue. Mm -hmm. That's a great, great point. And I'm going to build off of that. And my final point here, you know, as we're recording this, it's early in Q1 2023. Um, the year is underway. We've got some roadmap. And what I can tell you is there's still a lot of tumult. There is just a lot of tumult and chaos. And people are searching for answers. The biggest companies are making cuts. The biggest companies are freezing budgets. The hospitals are still trying to figure out. We're hearing about layoffs in hospitals. Yet, we're hearing the other side where they're struggling to get staff, right? It's a weird conundrum. They're stopping certain procedures because they can't man them. And in the spirit of everything we're talking about, if you don't adapt, you will be forced to become a dinosaur. The market will adapt you out. And that's what's happening very quickly. We're seeing that often. Don't sit there and be like, hey, this is what worked for me in 2005. And it worked for me in 2014. So it's destined to work for me in 2023 because the dynamics and the environment are totally different. Learn about inside sales. Call Mike. He's happy to talk to you about it. I mean, you don't get a name like the Ziploc King for nothing. Okay? <laughs> you have to earn that moniker. Okay. And so call in. I mean, you don't have to hire him. Just call him. Call him, let, it, let him talk to you about that, right? Call our colleague, Scott Alexander. He's happy to tell you about digital marketing. You're not going to do it as good as he does, but he's happy to talk to you about it. Same thing with Barbara. Give her a call. Ask her about her thoughts. Pick her brain about what people are thinking. And same with the, the clinician exchange. We're here to help. That's what the, the spirit of an MBA is. So with that, we appreciate everybody listening. Good luck. We'll post information about the article with the podcast if anybody wants to see it. But otherwise, we wish everybody good luck. Talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. The evolution of medtech sales is migrating from an individual approach to the team sales approach. And having a robust sales team, including both remote and technology-based support, with in-person allows you to be agile and budget-savvy. Fundamentally, it's about moving the message to where your customer is willing to listen. And in Mike's words, be brief, be brilliant, and be done. Thank you for joining us today on the MedTech Business Academy, and we look forward to having you tune in to future episodes.